So you've decided to listen to the Reality Czars podcast. How brave of you. Nate and Paranoid American may think that they're merely discussing cryptozoology, interdimensional realities, and crude humor. But know this, listening to this podcast puts you on a certain list, the Clinton body count, if you will. The truths they reveal are not for the faint of heart, nor the blissfully ignorant. Listen, if you dare, but remember, some doors, once opened, cannot be closed. And now, your hosts, those audacious explorers of forbidden knowledge, the reality czars, Nate and Paranoid American. And we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and I'm your only host tonight, Nate. Thomas is with his family right now, so uh, much love, Thomas. Have some fun, buddy. And I'm so honored. I'm talking to Miguel Connor. Thank you, brother. Glad to be here, man. Yeah, man. I am really excited to talk to you. Like, I, we're emailing. I've been having a very Gnostic month. I've had a lot of interesting folks on. Uh, we're doing a part two with Howdy pretty soon. Um, mm-hmm. so hopefully some, some things that come up tonight will help me ask him better questions next time. Um, I'm kind of a novice when it comes to, uh, Gnosticism in general, I get accused of being a Gnostic all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started as a very, uh, Pentecostal Christian. That was my, my upbringing. And, um, since then I've kind of, kind of explored the, uh, mysticism and different and different things like that and i've come to a place uh having various conversations with folks uh where i believe in reincarnation i believe that we are kind of trapped in sort of a prison planet of kind of a reincarnation uh i so i don't know if i if i count as a gnostic or not um so i guess maybe the first thing i because this is the first thing i asked howdy what is what would be your definition of gnosticism if you were going to just sum it up for a kindergartner. For a kindergartner. I think my kids have asked me that. And uh, my wife gets angry and then because we're raising them Roman Catholic. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, the, so if I was talking to my kids, I would say uh, we live in a sort of simulated reality. Not an illusion, not a false reality, but a fake reality. It's uh, been programmed from every atom to the code itself of the universe to keep us here and this is not our true home and we are not our true selves now gnostics had a lot of disagreements whether this is a like you said a prison planet and we're being farmed for our souls or our minds or is this some sort of cosmic gymnasium where we're here uh we're in we're a avatar and our real guy is up there beyond the universe playing a game and we just forgot we were in a game. The Gnostics disagreed. But we are here. We are asleep. We are in a state of stupor and drunkenness. We're being fed off in some systems. And therefore, some of us uh, are. Some of us can wake up. How do we wake up? Uh, beyond the simulation, if you would, or that's the closest word we can talk about. I think you've had howdy. We can't, It's like a simulation. We don't know exactly our myths always kind of reflect our technology, you know, during the industrial revolution, it was all a machine in ancient times. It was the breath. Now simulation is the best thing, even though scientific scientifically and mathematically it supports what the Gnostics said 2000 years ago and were mocked and persecuted for, but uh, there is an, an alien God or a Supreme consciousness that wishes to get part of its energy back, and that's us. 
Uh, we each of us house the divine uh, spark, as the Gnostics call it. So this uh, supreme consciousness, uh, God above God, the one, the monad, Abraxas, whatever you want to call it, will emanate these messengers of light from itself, sometimes called the aeons, and they will descend to impart liberating knowledge or sometimes called gnosis to wake us up to our true selves. These apostles of light, as they've been called, can take the form of Jesus, Sophia, Simon Magus, uh, and others. Obviously, Philip K. Dick would call this being Valis, and it's sending these pink beings down to wake us up from the empire that never ended as we're trapped here in the Black Iron Prison. And we can wake up, and not only the information to wake uh, us up, but also the mysteries or exercises that will get us to explore the universe and escape, not escape the universe, but rise to meet the supreme consciousness. We can gain uh, energies and powers and come back to help others awake. The Gnostics were not spiritual bypassers. They didn't want to, you know, Heaven's Gate, if you've heard, were very Gnostic, but they made the mistake. You don't just leave. You're supposed to help others. You know, that's the whole thing. And uh, these mysteries, these ecstatic, shamanistic uh, mysteries that give you an experience of this alien God will help us become more awake and gain more power to help others wake up. So, and there's there's a lot more there. This is a very uh, elevator pitch because there's uh, an insistence on the divine feminine, the idea of reincarnation, a habit of deconstructing old texts, including the Hebrew Bible, uh, heavy reliance on allegory and symbolism, and other characteristics that represent the Gnostic worldview, if you would. So I don't know if that makes you into a Gnostic or not. I think today with the red pill and the crowd, and this has been noted by certain scholars who track this stuff, is, yeah, you've got the red pill conspiracy part that we are certainly ruled over by these beings called the Archons, and they uh, definitely have parallels to extraterrestrials or interdimensional demons, or even the Nephilim, because the Gnostics were part of that Book of Enoch tradition, if you would, or they bought into it. Um, they're still the part of uh, shamanism, which is at the core of Gnosticism. It is a experiential mystery religion, and one of the main things is to go into an altered state of mind to expand your consciousness and see beyond the veil and see what's inside of you, too. It was It's a therapeutic movement. You're supposed to heal your body, your soul, and your spirit so you can become a better human being. Man, there is so much to that. And um, at least at the kindergarten level, um, there, there's just no arguing with what you were saying. Definitely the beginning... As far as like, I think I came to uh, like elementary Gnosticism, let's say I'm a kindergarten Gnostic um, from kind of like the back door, like uh, like I, I was very much a Christian. And um, then I kind of went through an atheist phase in my teenage years, and I did a lot of uh, psilocybin that actually brought me back to, to Christ. That's what like uh, kind of one might call it like opening up your chakras maybe, or I, I call it embracing the Holy spirit. I started seeing like God, the Godhead and other people. I started seeing like, 
you know, I was a kind of a degenerate. I'd walk around in Portland and I'd be like uh, dropping an eighth of mushrooms and uh, chasing a couple four locos down there and doing karaoke all night. And uh, then instead of like stepping over a homeless person, I would look at this homeless person and I would see like the Godhead inside of them as well. And so I just started having conversations with them. And at this point I was supposed to be an atheist and, uh, but I was a bad atheist. I still prayed every day, um, which, which is, makes me a, a bad atheist. And, and I would talk to them and I would just start like conversing with them and I'd be like, you know, what's going on. And, and I, then I would have like, can I pray for you? Like out of nowhere, I'm supposed to be an atheist. And then I would just start praying for them. And then we would just have these wonderful conversations and take them to coffee. And that's when I realized that there, there was a lot of, a lot of steps there, but that's what kind of brought me back to Jesus was this, this, uh, the feeling, the Godhead in other people, like the Holy spirit in me recognizing the Holy spirit in someone else. Um, and then as far as like the whole simulation thing goes, I think that was just me also doing mushrooms and listening to a lot of Joe Rogan um, kind of and exploring those ideas and real, realizing that it really does feel like a simulation and then exploring the ideas of reincarnation. And the first time I had heard of Gnosticism, someone had just explained it to me that they were like the original Christians, except that they thought uh, or the original like followers, I guess, of God, but they thought that Yahweh was the evil deity and that actually like it was kind of inverted that Lucifer was good and that and that or like Satan was good or something that God. That, and, and anyways, it scared me at first. And um, but then I've kind of I've kind of explored the idea. I, I remember the first time that I got accused of being a Gnostic. Um, because I'm, I'm very open to exploring ideas. I had done some research that uh, Yahweh was actually Saturn, like that mm -hmm. he was the same deity as Saturn. And uh, I had a couple audience members send me very angry emails. <laughs> and because, uh, you know, at the time I was a Christian and they were like, hey, don't go down that path. Um, I don't even know what my question is at this point. I, I guess I'm just telling you where I guess where I was kind of introduced to Gnosticism, and since then, um, so they called you um, a Gnostic because you were you were talking shit about uh, Jehovah in the Old Testament. Yes, even yes. though it's a, a completely objectively true, he had a bad temper and he needed some help, and the birth of Jesus yeah. might have helped his temper. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the next part where people started calling me a Gnostic when I when I started to feel that that Jesus Christ was a separate being from mm -hmm. the old God and that it seemed like they were two different people and that Jesus was pretty awesome and that that's my God. Like I started calling myself a Christ follower instead of calling myself a Christian. Um, and so I get accused of Gnosticism quite a bit. And I think another maybe big step in the right direction was the first time that we uh we had david ike on the on uh on the podcast and we were discussing his book the trap mm -hmm. and we were discussing um the whole idea that these entities are trying to keep us here trapped in this simulation and i was on, i'm on board with the simulation theory and the reincarnation theory so i was like that's that makes sense to me and he says that that higher the only way to get through that like the whatever you want to call it the firmament or whatever this crust is 
uh, would be to vibrate at a higher vibration, this like this love vibration. And to me, I was like, well, that to me is Jesus. And so me questioning, I was like me saying that I think maybe Jesus or that Holy Spirit is a vibration that trying to live as Jesus did, like loving another person, that is like turning your body into like you're becoming embracing that part of Christ. And that's how you can break through. And so then I, of course, I got accused of being a Gnostic again after that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ike has a good uh, Gnostic cosmology. Gnosticism, as Eric Davis said, has a sci fi sensibility. I mean, it, it sounds like an episode of um, Star Trek or uh, the X Files, especially the language idea of these space beings who control the different dimensions and two of my favorite shows maybe that's, uh... to reach this alien god and all that so uh it definitely translates well and ike does a good job of sort of uh of sort of uh marrying ancient gnosticism to modern ufology yeah he really does um yeah, man, it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you for that. Um, I definitely have more wacky questions about Gnosticism that will come up for sure as we go on. But uh, let's talk a little bit about your future book. Um, so this is coming out here pretty soon, right? In about a year? Yeah, I'd say about a year. So, yeah, hopefully sooner. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about it? Yeah, it's called, uh, right now it's tentatively called America's Magician, the Occult, Gnostic, and Shamanistic Secret Life of Elvis Presley. And uh, it basically shows that Elvis was one of two days, or actually history's greatest mystic, shamans, magicians that has ever, that we've ever seen. He was unparalleled in his experiences, his uh kinetic powers, his telepathy, his astral power, his mystic experience, his extraterrestrial experiences, and the whole world is miss it. And that's the strange part because, A, I don't, there is hundreds of books on uh, Elvis and conspiracy. Was he an alien and all that? Tabloids, tens of thousands of articles out there. Was he part of the Illuminati and all that good stuff? But I, I just focus on the biographies that have been around for a long time from people close to him, Priscilla, his bodyguards, spiritual mentors, friends, uh, childhood friends, I mean, family, and it's all there. They all saw it with their own eyes, whether it was him manipulating the weather, whether it was him uh, having an extraterrestrial experience, whether it was him sitting around in a meditation circle reading Blavatsky or Manly P. Hall, it's all there. And uh, he, whether it's him healing people, he was an amazing healer. So I just took all these different well-established and reputable biographies, and I took out the supernatural woo-woo stuff, and I put it all in one book, and it's a very big book, and it shows, uh, again... He is the great occultist, magician, and mystic of our times. And it seems strange, but the more you realize when you consider his fame, his impact on American culture, he is American culture. You might say he created modern post-war American culture and how he defied all odds coming from 
third, basically North Korean poverty in Mississippi during the Depression to history's number one solo singer and what he was able to do. It just makes sense. He's He, he was the magic man, if you know what I mean, borrowing from heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... That's wild, man. I mean, there's so much to get into there. Um, I guess maybe the first question I had, because um, I, I, I listened to an interview that you did with a friend of mine, um, and um, talking about talking about Elvis, the first thing I think that came to mind uh, was just the idea of Elvis's like his powers and and that and how that works into because. I, I guess this is more of a question, again, I guess a Gnostic question. I was kind of curious, like, from a Gnostic point of view, where do you think that, like, Elvis derived his power? Because, um, like, when you were talking about, like, a greater God, like, is, like, in the Gnostic tra tradition, is there, like, like a true creator God that is, like, a good God? And that Yadaboeth was, like, an evil trickster God that, like, kind of, like, tricked us? Or is Yadaboeth actually the creator? And no, he's, he's a actually an asshole. Is well, he there, doesn't create. He, he he orders the universe to create the simulation in a way that AI or algorithms will change your 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 workspace or your computer screen to make you think it's reality in that sense. But he is definitely the creator god. That would be the title. But in truth, he just shapes things. I mean. The Gnostics came from the Platonic school or the Egyptian school. Everything is permanent. Everything's eternal. It's a matter of uh, how you're going to shape things and so forth. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, they, they definitely uh, rang the pull the emergency lever that yeah, the supreme being of this universe is a demon and he's trapped us. So, what do you expect? I mean, when you play video games. If you play Diablo or video games, what do you want? A weak final boss? No, man. You gotta you, you need a tough guy. You need the main guy once you get up there. That's fascinating. So oh, man, it, it, there's so much to this. So if he is the he is kind of the creator, are we are let's play devil's advocate or Yaldo Boeth advocate? Should we be grateful to him at all? Is this you like can. Of course you can. I mean, what it depends what game you want to play with Saturn. That's up to you. I mean, I can't yeah. tell. I would never tell anybody how yeah. to live their, their theological life. From I mean, Miguel's you know. perspective. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I don't think I would be grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, I could have a little bit of pity because he is a blind being. He is uh, mostly an AI, an artificial construct. And in the end, I have each one of us have much more power than he does because he depends on our energy. If we all were to wake up and realize the power within us, the game would be over instantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can destroy universes and break planets together and all that, but we have so much more power. We eternity is within us. The the divine spark is a shard of eternity that's just been misplaced. So um Okay. It's a, I mean, you could, as some Gnostics would say, you could thank them because you're learning a lesson and you are becoming more stronger and better and wiser as you go through life. But I mean, every religion has that, right? Suffering makes you stronger. You learn through your pitfalls. So nothing new under the sun. Okay. I guess maybe what I'm, 
maybe what I'm trying to ask is, what are we without him? Are we created by him or are we something special and different that was trapped here in his like prison? Are we something that is similar and equal to him? Could we be creators outside of his matrix? Like what, like what are we, if we are not, I guess, are we, are we his creations or are we something like special and different? So is there something to break out of? Well, you're monkey outside of his matrix. Yeah, yeah. There's uh again. I talked about the the God above God, the realm of light, uh, mm-hmm. the eternal realm, as the Gnostics call the true reality, the treasury of light. That's real, and we live in a simulation. So he may have created our physical forms, our uh, our twisted egos, and all that. Uh, but uh, what is inside of us, our true self, that that's that is that is free. That belongs to nobody except eternity. Fascinating. And I mean, and then it's all speculation, I guess, but what is outside of this prison? But, uh, well, yeah. you can, that's, that's what I keep <laughs> stressing. If you want to yeah. be a Gnostic, are you having altered states of mind as often as possible? That's it. I, again, I have to keep stressing that it is originally a shamanistic movement. Sham, shamanistic movements are about what? spirit travel healing communing with the spirits going as far as you can to get information from the spirit world to bring it to the tribe so you have that the gnostics might have a little i guess they were uh philosophically different than other shamanistic movements because they came out of the egyptian matrix during the greek and roman times so they saw a world that was very tyrannical they saw oppression they saw of he of evil, and to the ancients, it was always as above, so below. If there's evil controlling the world, it's a reflection of, as Paul says, that spiritual wickedness in high places. So they just philosophically saw that we were alienated and the world was uh, ultimately a prison. So that's where they differ from other shamanistic movements. I see. And what is your perspective on, like, uh, like, is it is it a waste of time to appreciate like the like the nature's beauty like because this is also like it's just like a really pretty poster in in my jail cell but I can appreciate the poster right is that a yeah yeah what did Dostoevsky say the best way to imprison somebody's convince them they're not in a prison and it is yeah. beautiful I mean obviously the divine spark is everywhere as some gnostics would say it's in the plants it's in the animals there's a there's in the gnostic myth uh, sophia who's the goddess who falls into matter she loses her energy and it gets scattered into the world they're different myths and this is what sustains the world and that's life that's compassion that's uh, all the good things that kind of fuel awareness the collective awareness so it's all good ultimately it's subjective i mean mean, yeah can a blind person enjoy a sunset i've been in the mediterranean when i've been like you on drugs and i don't care how beautiful the scenery is i could care less i was dead inside so it's still subjective to an extent but there is a, a an inclination or a a call to something beautiful i mean if anything, as they say, the Demiurge created this world as a copy of the higher worlds. 
So there is some of that beauty and aesthetic in this universe, but ultimately it's still a simulation. It's still not the best possible place or state of being we could experience or should experience. That makes sense. And I, I like that idea too, that like maybe, yeah, like you said, like um, what we are spark of the divine that like life itself, like that is maybe that is what's beautiful about this also about this prison is like the life in the green grass the life that's in the plants and the trees things like that that is also maybe that's because i'm trying to think about like uh it kind of seems to me the evil in this world the darkness in this world is just like the control matrix control matrixes and it's like like the demonic realm i see in government constantly um that's where i really see a lot of the control matrixes and uh, yeah it's an easy one yeah <laughs> but it's everywhere i mean we live in a nature is pretty amoral and pretty vicious if you look at it uh as uh, the laws of physics don't make sense i mean the universe doesn't make sense in many ways uh, things just break down but again there is a lot of beauty there is a lot of compassion there is a lot of empathy and as the hermeticists used to say the pagan gnostics it's our job to be the caretakers of the cosmos we are different than the gods because we're not immortal but we are but because we experience mortality we have a huge sense of perspective and in many ways because of our divine spark we are higher than the gods we are different than the animals but we're not better than the animals we just have a place between heaven and earth what's the saying we are where the the fallen angel meets the rising ape and as Gary Lockman called humans, we should be the caretakers of the cosmos. We can help lessen suffering. We can bring more harmony. We can be part of nature as well as part of a beneficial, rational society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I had a question in there. I was, um, let's see. I guess the question in there was, um, let's um do you think that something in there like so you're talking about this place being an imperfect world and i it makes me think of maybe what a perfect world was do you think that there is like some like intrinsic memory is there something more to the story of like the garden of eden was there is there like a tale in there is there like an allegory was were they talking about like a memory like of ours of a perfect of a perfect world and uh this was something that was taken it depends on the Gnostic group. For example, those behind the text called the Gospel of Thomas, that is their view. They said, uh, they, if you read the Gospel of Thomas, one of the messages is that we've deluded ourselves and what we see is, it's not that it's wrong, is our perspective has gotten wrong. We're seeing with the wrong eyes. We have the wrong attitudes. And if we follow the sayings of Jesus, and the meditations of Jesus, the veil will rip, and we realize that we never left Eden. It's just uh, a, a curtain was was set over our senses, and Eden is right there, and we can once again experience it. Other Gnostics were like, oh, no, 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 no. Adam and Eve were in a penitentiary. They were in the worst place at all. They were, uh, barring from 
the Anunnaki. They were just the slaves of uh, uh, L and his gang, the Demiurge, and they were there to uh, appease and uh, just be workers for the gods. And it was a great thing that this serpent appeared in some Gnostic texts. The serpent is Jesus, sometimes associated with the serpent. Other times it's Sophia. But the serpent actually woke Adam and Eve up. And they rebelled against the gods. They were thrown out because the gods still wanted slaves and have them populate the earth. But that's how this saga starts, this battle between humans and uh, the, the gods or the archons or the Anunnaki or whoever you want to talk about. But yeah, in their view, Eden is the, the worst possible place. Okay. I mean, that kind of reminds me, I mean, one of my favorite movies and the last movie I saw with my dad and one of the most Gnostic movies I can think of is, is the matrix. And it reminds me of like the story he said, like when we made the perfect world, you guys hated it and went nuts. So maybe that was kind of like the garden of Eden. Like it on paper, it sounded perfect. Like nobody, like we all ate vegetables from the fruit, like animals didn't eat each other. We were all vegan and happy. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just running around like went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty hippie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, it was again all to trap our divine spark in the matrix. They switch it out. It's not our divine spark. It's the electricity in our brains that feed the arconic system. I guess yeah. today it's our attention and uh, everything else, data that feeds the arconic system. Yeah, it was a little bit more on the nose about us being literal batteries, but I mean, in a way, we kind of are, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. The Demiurge needs us. He needs a divine spark to fuel his simulation, just like in the Matrix. Yeah, that is really a fascinating idea. So, so I guess maybe the clearest thing that I'm hearing is that there is no one or right way to be a Gnostic, and that Gnostics uh, have kind of a, kind of all have different sort of philosophies and different ideas of things, right? Where because um, yeah, the yeah, way I sure. see. Um, like the way that I see David Icke talk, uh, speak about like the reptilians is kind of a way where he's talking about how they are kind of feeding off of our energy and kind of feeding off of our life force and kind of affecting the way, you know, they, they're affecting our emotions purposefully to make it. And that's also the same way that I hear about like the archons. I think he is kind of speaking about the archons. Yeah, they do that too. Yeah. They, 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 uh... They call it the uh, counterfeit spirit, but I guess a modern lexicon would be mind parasites. They, it's basically yeah. a a digital version or something of our, our of our divine spark that makes sure that a we can't wake up, b that we make the worst decisions and have the worst desires, and it's always around our divine spark. Some people might just call it the human ego because our egos get us in trouble when we don't listen to our intuition, when we don't listen to the wisdom of, of other teachers, when we don't listen to our gut. Uh, so yeah, call it what you want. But yeah, it seems we are dual creatures that have both a divine thing and then this sort of uh, this virus, this digital, this code that makes sure that we can never wake up or even do the right thing and we're always trapped in the cycle of life and rebirth or as Gnostic said the Ouroboros that snake that's always eating its tail and go in and around and around 
yeah. And then, I mean, in a very flesh way, I mean, you could just call it like government and their indoctrination in this schooling, like the way that, they, you know, the Prussian model just to keep us like perpetually right. in their factories. You know, they want us just smart enough to keep the machines running. It, it is it's interesting how maybe the physical is also just um, it's reflecting what's actually happening on the spiritual realm as well. It's it's like a true reflection of uh, like of corporations, modern corporations, uh, the and hungry government is also like an external like view of the archons and. That's what the ancients the always thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Earth is not separate from heaven or the celestial realms. It's just the last extension. When they believed in the theory of correspondence, we are a reflection of the heavenly realms and. As above, so below. As within, so without. Everything is within everything. So, yeah, if the ancients would say the same thing, if things are corrupt on Earth, then they're definitely corrupt on Heaven. It doesn't matter who started or what came first, the chicken or the egg. It has yeah. to be remedied. Unfortunately, the ancients had this strange idea about human sacrifice fixing things, which they kind of fell into the Archon trap because the Gnostics, the ancients, were always like, no human sacrifice will is ever. It's bad. It's bad. Doesn't matter. That's why the Gnostics were so against uh, or could care less about the crucifixion of Jesus because they thought this was just another human sacrifice. And we have to stop the cycle of violence. You know, uh, speaking about finding Gnosticism through the back door, I think I'm thinking about it now. And um, politically, I found. Uh, I'm as close as you can get to like an anarchist. And I, and I see that anarchy um, in its truest form is kind of like trying to escape the matrix in the physical realm, but we are too focused on the physical realm. And we're looking at like the government as the big archon that's trying to control us, trying to manipulate us, trying to keep us on the dollar, trying to keep us like, like tax and debt, like, like tax slavery and things like that and money slavery and things like that. And it's funny now that it, if you're looking at it outside of the physical realm, um, I think every anarchist is a Gnostic and they don't know it yet. Yeah, they would have to be because the word anarchy simply means no archons. <clears throat> so Interesting. Then the Gnostics okay. were certainly... <laughs> certainly believe that and they certainly thought uh, like everybody else that archon means prince ruler administrator and again this is ancient thinking you know people in power are just a reflection or i mean take it as symbolic or as little as you want they're either in cahoots with the powers up in heaven or they symbolically are in cahoots i would say my view is literal they are working for these archonic powers but the gnostics said no these forces are all bad they are all irrelevant and uh, there is no doubt their attitude was very uh very uh not archonic anarchist i mean they call themselves the generation without a king they presuppose that all governments were controlled by the archons uh, same with the religious institutions and they believed in small little lodges that would work together in this network of uh I don't know, secret societies that would work together to spread information uh, without violence, of course, and without any sort of illegal means until they were they were made illegal. So, yeah, you could say the Gnostics were certainly probably a long 
the cynics were history's first uh, anarchists for sure. And it makes sense. I mean, the government doesn't really exist. It's something we made up in our heads. It's, it's uh -huh. When you realize, you go, wait a second, this thing does not produce anything. It does not create anything. It's something that we give our luge to. And it's somebody, and it comes back and hires us back for the roads and everything else. So it's it really is the biggest scam. And I understand. I mean, Uber doesn't exist when you think about it. It doesn't produce anything. However, Uber depends on our consent and our agreement to survive. If if we all stopped suddenly and said, "We Uber sucks," this non-existent entity that doesn't create anything would disappear. The government. It has coercion and violence behind it. So even if we all said we don't like this, Uber will go out of business. The government would just start killing us. So that's how nefarious it is. So it's it's a fiction in our heads, but unfortunately, it's turned into this sort of egregore or evil spirit that will cause violence, even if you stop believing in it, even though it does not exist. But it will incur violence upon you if you don't play this. Uh, collective delusion. Oh, that we have borders and we have citizenship and all these fictions that make a, when you think about it, make no sense at all. Democracy, uh, festival yeah. of the mediocre, as they call, as a, as a Emil Ciaran called it. Uh, man, this is, I mean, yeah. I, you or, just, you yeah, or two wolves. Me. Yeah. Two wolves voting how they're going to cook you for dinner. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, as an anarchist, we've used that. Uh, we've used that a lot of times as we, we talk about government being an actual fiction. The government is just a thought. It is an aggregor and it is just everyone just deciding to yeah. create this. And because of that, we give it that power. And if we all collectively decided to walk away, it would cease to exist. And, and yeah, just the connections now thinking about that. I mean, that is so fascinating. Uh, you're blowing my mind here. But it takes a while. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. took me years of deeper. I mean, I was always resisting like, ugh, you know, I'd, you know, you'd read uh, Michael Malice or Rose or any, or even the old time. And it just, yeah, it didn't make sense. It's like, I would sit there at night, like doing these mental gymnastics. And then one day it's like, you just take a breath. It's like, Oh, this is actually easy to understand, and it's true. It's yeah, it just makes too much sense. It's logical. That's the best thing. It's completely logical. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, you're absolutely blowing my mind here. That is awesome. Um, so let's get back to uh, let's get back to Elvis. Um, I guess maybe where is um the first thing to get started with him. I, I think what I heard you talking about with my friend was um, his Pentecostal beginnings. And I thought that was super fascinating. That's something that I was resonating with. Uh, uh, we were definitely uh, holy rollers. Uh, it, I grew up in tent revivals and things like that as well. So that was, yeah, that was Elvis. His, uh, his uh, mother and father were very uh, um, engaged with uh, what's it, the Church of God. Uh, yeah, I think it's the Church of God. And uh, the, his father, Vernon, was a deacon, and his mother 
really got into the church, especially when she got pregnant with the twins and she would go there every day. And it was, uh, yeah, the old time revival, uh, speaking in tongues, shaking, playing instruments, just having a wild time. And that was, that was a big accusation that other Protestants would say is that, uh, Pentecostals are trying to mix salvation and sex. And they were a hundred percent right. It was a very, uh, it was a very sensual release of energies kind of movement. And uh, as scholars have shown and anthropologists have shown using the work of Levi Strauss or Joseph Campbell, the Pentecostal mo movement blow by blow is shamanistic. It has all the, the earmarks and characteristic features of a, of a shamanistic movement which, with its differences, of course. And uh, that's what Elvis grew up with. Uh, and that's what he was very much a part um, the th and I think that's where he get his energies and a lot of his power was tapping into this these uh, these primordial energies these uh, going out of mind through the shaking and the music and going higher into these different realms where you could bring back these energies they would call it the Holy Spirit energy but call it whatever you want it's the same thing we just use different language and uh, it was huge and it wasn't just huge I mean it really as many experts have said and I agree, rock and roll is just a continuation of uh, gospel music, especially the Pentecostal kind, because uh, people, <laughs> when rock started, people would go to these concerts and say, this reminds me of a tent revival, except they're, instead of saying Jesus, they're saying baby, baby, but it's the same vibe. It's Again, it's sex and salvation being put together into this new form of spirituality and elvis was part of this group that included bb king johnny cash carl perkins um jerry lee lewis i mean this whole group of people that were grew up in gospel and pentecostalism but they found this anger and power and these new uh, and through new technology of instruments they brought something new and 100 percent that would be elvis now he turned his back on traditional Christianity pretty early on because when he became famous, uh, the pastors turned on him. People like Billy Graham, his own pastor, so many. Uh, you have to remember, half of the world was completely irate and disgusted by Elvis. They wanted him gone because he changed the game. He liberated women sexually. He was blurring the lines between the races. He was uh, making teenagers talk back to adults. I mean, everything got turned around in the United States. And Christian fundamentalists hated him. And they said some terrible things about him. And he got really pissed off. And he started exploring and realized stuff like hell and other things. And the big mega churches made no sense. And he eventually began to explore more universal alternative forms of christianity that he found in theosophy and gnosticism and uh, manly p hall and other groups and you know uh mixing in eastern philosophy with uh, christianity and he eventually in the late 50s and 60s came to his own form of sort of cosmic christ christianity <laughs> That's absolutely fascinating. And I do, I can totally see why uh, Pentecostalism being his, like, I guess his 
from his starting point could kind of open him up to like, I guess, shamanistic and mystical belief uh, because of all the Christianity. I mean, the Pentecostalism really holds on to, I mean, they're, they're called Pentecostals for a reason, the time of Pentecost. Like uh. they really believe in absolutely right now, hands on, we can heal you. Yeah. This can happen right now. And uh, not only uh, can it happen, it's going to happen. And we're going to make it happen right now in the name of Jesus. And it's one of these things where um, whether you think that the power is coming from Jesus, the person, the Pentecostal believes it's coming from Jesus, or if it's just coming from just inner power and just complete blind faith. Like that, that in itself is so incredibly powerful. Like uh, the, the churches that I grew up in, like I've seen things happen in front of my eyes that I can't explain. And it's absolutely sure. like, it's breathtaking, man. I, I saw a lady, her arm was about six inches shorter. Her right arm, her forearm was kind of disfigured and it was about six and six, six inches shorter. And we laid hands on her and we prayed for her and her arm grew six inches in front of my eyes and that's one of those things that i've talked about it once on the podcast <laughs> and i almost don't talk about it because everyone's just gonna be like you're crazy that didn't happen you're a schizo or you're a liar or <laughs> you know any of the any of the above oh, all I, of the above i believe you, know? you for sure yeah i mean you just talk about the concept of the egregores you get a big group of people and they believe their yeah. psychic energy will create yeah. a force, a semi-autonomous force, or it will open portals to other places. Yeah. yeah. A shaman needs his tribe to make things happen. And in these churches, yeah, these things are happening and have happened since, you know, the dawn of uh, civilization. And Elvis was very gifted. He had this sort of uh, second sight or witch blood from his mom's side. His mom could see things in the dark spirits and all that they they believed in healing and they were able to heal elvis when he was young and elvis was a healer he could heal people's headaches heart attacks he healed broken legs i mean he was part of that but again he just decided to mix it in with uh uh hinduism and theosophy and taoism and gnostic you know once he was the biggest guy in the world, he could do what he want. You know what I mean? Even yeah. spiritually, he got to a point where I'm going to do what I want when I want it. And I'm going to create this sort of hodgepodge religion. And I'm going to see if that can help others, too. He was very much that he wanted to be like Buddha, like Jesus, like Zoroaster. He wanted to be a force to help other people see God and find their own purpose. And again, you so start guess, seeing it. You see it in his concerts. Yeah. In your opinion, because I, I heard you mention that before, too, that maybe that uh, there was some like like a special uh, something in his lineage, right, that kind of gave him an extra dose. Like, so is is there something like physically that can be passed down through like lineage, things like that, that can give I you an extra helps, dose, yeah. do you think? or? I think it helps. But with Elvis, it was we all can be mystics. I mean, yeah. again. If we go back far enough, we're all related to Genghis Khan or Jesus. So yeah. we all have some DNA, and it depends how close it is. But with Elvis, it, he had it really strong from his mother. We don't know. Again, uh, Mississippi and the, during the Great Depression, the records are shit. 
some say he had some Cherokee blood. Some say he had some sort of uh, Lithuanian Kabbalist blood, Jewish blood. It's hard to tell, but he had that second side. But also trauma, too. I mean, the other thing that's sad is uh, across the world, the shaman is usually somebody who is uh, psychically broken or somebody who's gone through a near-death experience or somebody who's – their personalities are so fragmented – that they can open the portals and the gateways in their heads, the channels of communication to the spirits. We call them yeah. schizophrenics, but in ancient times, it means you've got talent. And <laughs> this is called, it's called, a, it's called the wounded healer. And you see that in shamanism across the world and with magicians and priests, somebody who's broken and so traumatized that they're, again, they can open portals inside and out of outside. And Elvis was that person. People forget there were so many weird things that happened, including the death of his twin when he was born. There was a strange blue light that appeared uh, the day he was born. There was a tornado about a year later that killed like 25% of the population of his town. Uh, there was just extreme poverty. His mom, after his twin died, became very possessive. And that's what you called um, lethal enmeshment. We call it helicopter parenting. But now they're realizing it's 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 a terrible form of abuse. It really screws up a child if you do that. And then other things is you know mother dying when he was young. So many things that he the more you broke him, the more these channels of communication open. And that's where he was able to get the second sight. He could astral travel. He could. Uh, have powers of prophecy and healing and other things so unfortunately that is true it's like my uh my friend chris snow says you know the muses choose the broken vessel that's who that you know the tortured soul is the one that can understand the language of the gods yeah that is that is really fascinating and that was something that um we talked with howdy about and he and he thinks that really what opened up his eyes was, you know, early trauma. And that really kind of like broke the, I guess the illusion that, that we're in, you know, trauma could be, I mean, as, as traumatic as it is, this trauma, it, it can also, uh, it, well, it is, it's reshaping, you know, and it, positive or negative, it's reshaping. Yeah. It breaks the normative ego, the counterfeit spirit, whatever it is, the coding, in our, it, 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 it malfunctions and permanently breaks it. And that could be, you can use that for good, for your advantage. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's important. You know, I can't tell people how to live their lives, but it, it is um, when you're able to, because I mean, it's, it can be impossible for some, but when you're able to use that trauma to, you know, reshape, and re, uh, I guess, uh, kind of put your life back together in your own in the, in the shape that you that you choose to create you know it's it can be very powerful yeah, yeah. um so i'm fascinated by you were talking about the gospel of thomas and you were talking about like the interdimensionality of their worldview of gnosticism um it do you what do you what are your thoughts on um this matrix being interdimensional what are your thoughts on like the idea of psychedelics and what like theoretically this is like what scientists tell us right that when we die there's a big drop of dmt that happens into our brain and then we are shot somewhere right and then and then that's kind of where the, 
the Gnostics say they try to trick you and stick you back in, right? Kind of that idea. What is it that we're doing when we take DMT? Is there an actual, is there kind of like a glimpse into something? Or is it also, is it something fake? Is it an illusion? What, what, what are your thoughts on psychedelics in general? Is there like, uh, does it let <coughs> us see something that's not normally there? Or is yeah, it kind of I mean, like, let I, us see some of the if code? If I hit you with a hammer right now, you'd see something that wasn't there. It's uh, again, the jolt. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. The Gnostics, as shamanistic as they were, again, came from the Egyptian matrix. And in the Egyptian matrix or the mysteries, there's this idea that you die, you go through up to the heavens, you try to avoid uh, Apophis, the giant snake, and they had other beings. You had to avoid lion-headed, donkey-headed monsters in the stars. The Gnostics said, yeah, this is right, but we don't have to wait till we're going to die. We're going to go through this process now in through these very elaborate mind-altering um, exercises or rituals. And these rituals were kind of like near-death experiences. And they wrote them down, you know. You calm down and then suddenly you're going underground and you're dead and you meet uh, Persephone or you meet another god of the underground. And now you've got to get a new body and go up to the light. But, whoa. Every level you go, there's some archon or demon that's going to trick you or won't let you go through. I'll say, you know, what's the magic password or what's the code you have to do to get to the next dimension? And you keep going and you keep going until you get out of the final game. So they had these maps of the multiverse, if you would. And these they even wrote about these star portals you could go through. Again, very sci-fi. They had the whole thing going, and uh, yeah. they had different views because, obviously, a mystical experience, uh, you and I may see the same thing, but our minds are going to describe it differently. We're not going to see our culture, what part of the country, how you were raised is going to change the description of these beings or pathways or something like that. And again, it was about altered states of mind. So, yes. We do have evidence of of Gnostics using entheogens, like uh, putting special herbs in their wine, or they they would combine these things in their mouth, and then they would describe how they would change. Uh, they had the whole shebang going, but it wasn't all that. Again, as they were anarchists, it depend on the lodge. Some Gnostic groups believed in psychedelics; others, meditation, contemplation; other more sacramental. There were some that tried sex magic vowel magic uh and all this other stuff baptism heavy baptism so they would say my i would agree with the gnostics and the mystics of alexandria in ancient times what you need that's more important than the drugs or anything is you need a good hero font you need somebody who's been giving given the knowledge knows the ritual and can guide you well I don't believe in people going alone with psychedelics. Uh, I, I'm a recovering drug addict, so I wouldn't do it alone mm. by default. But I have done ayahuasca ceremonies with a group who has an elder, and he will say, this is what you're going to You know, they kind of lead you through the yeah. same thing. You're going to do the ayahuasca. You're going to lay down. Now you're going to rise from your body. Now you're going to have. So well, no matter what you're doing, it's good to have a hierophant. It's good to have a group, and it's good never to go at it alone. Then you're like, uh, 
the archons love to see you swimming alone in the waters of creation because it's easy to shoot you down. So I have an interesting question for you, or at least it's interesting to me. Um, so I, I, so I'm thinking about this now. Do you think that there are certain people in this realm that are that are knowledgeable about this and are purposefully working with working for the archons so we're talking about maybe like governmental figures when when you hear these stories that used to be scoffed at and are more and more people are kind of open to the idea that maybe like uh you know certain governmental figures are in communion with these interdimensional, whatever you want to call them, they sound like archons to me. We're demons. Um, like call them Satan, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. I mean, I've known, I have friends that know, but that doesn't matter. It's not like, you know, I have a friend who's black, you know. But, I, yeah. you know, I do have friends, but that means nothing. But you can, so about a month ago, I interviewed Richard Weber. He was a federal agent in charge of t child trafficking. And he went right in the belly of the beast of a satanic family. He couldn't believe it. It just it, it broke his heart. And he was basically an atheist. It's not like something, you know, he had some agenda and he, he went into So you see that over and over again. There's no doubt. I mean, the power these entities can give you, it's addictive. It's complete. It's generational where your family won't need to work for hundreds of years and you've got safety yeah. and again you don't have a choice if you're young you're going to get initiated you're going to get humiliated you're going to do some they're going to make sure that something compromising happens to you so they can blackmail you. and if not they'll make it up i mean they yeah. can make shit about you and i if they you know five minutes they could have you and i with little kids deep fakes yeah. you know i mean no problem we'd Absolutely. be wiped out the face of the earth in jail the next day so the the power is amazing but again we have the power of light with us we have the divine spark we have powers far greater whether you call it jesus the alien god uh, the force it doesn't matter it's there it's an other and it's working for our benefit to wake us up so we do the right thing hmm. um another thing that you said that uh, i know we're getting close on time do you, do you have maybe 10 more minutes sure. i can bug you Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, an, another thing that we were talking about, or another thing that you mentioned, was first of all, do these stargates and maps that the ancients were making do they do they still exist? Yeah, Are they yeah, still for sure. I mean, they're in the zodiac. There, for example, you go through this ritual, and I think the Freemasons do the same thing. And the mystery: you go underground, you die. It's the whole "I die, your ego must die." Then you have the out of body experience, and you go up through these gates. And it'll say it's the portal of Draco. Some of the not for something Draco was very important to the Gnostic. Anything having to do with serpents was a was a, got the Gnostics excited either as a foe or a friend. But serpent, serpents. Sometimes it was it was the constellation of Taurus and all that. It's nothing specific that we could use with our modern instruments, but it was there. I mean, I remember yeah doing last three times that I've done ayahuasca. I've just like shot up through the heavens just out of this world and just gotten but unfortunately uh I, I was alone and basically my my elder all he could do was bring me down he couldn't like be there with me 
yeah. but in the in the text is there we are going through this portal together we are traveling watch out for this archon make sure you invoke jesus and hermes and the powers of good and all that other stuff so we can't recreate it because unfortunately we don't have the manuals of what ingredients or clothing or whatever else you know all we have is the text yeah and then i was curious if you were familiar with this um i'm pretty sure i tried to pull it up if i i think it was the imperial college of london um what they're doing right now is they are they've found a way so you know if you do dmt uh you peak for about 20 minutes and then you start to come back down. Uh, they have kind of figured out a way to intravenously give this to someone and they can keep you at a, a peak around an hour. And uh, they are getting uh, young volunteers to do this. And they're trying to kind of um, map what they see. And it's really fascinating, this idea that there might be some alternative or uh, <laughs> ulterior motives to this that like maybe the people that are in charge of this because we know the cia has always done you know especially yeah. with psychedelics experiments and colleges and things like that trying to gather information and things this almost seems like a new mk ultra that the, i don't know if it's the archons or maybe maybe the people that made the deal with the archons are also looking for an exit because they know that their time is up you know i i see that a lot sometimes with their their idea of trying to last for eternity or upload their consciousness into yeah, whatever yeah. this simulation is, because they know they're screwed when this, uh, when they're, you know, when they're game. Yeah, they up. just want, yeah, they just want to live forever. They want immortality. They want to live forever, yeah. Um, Whether there's peace on Earth or not, they just want to live forever. Yeah. It's it to me. It's so fascinating that maybe they're trying to get that map too. They're trying to get oh, an yeah, updated yeah, yeah. map. And, um, or yeah, or find the secrets of manipulation, or find out uh, yeah. what's within. I mean, the great, the final frontier is in space. It's the human psyche. Or maybe it's, it's the archons trying to see what we see. You know, maybe they, uh, maybe they want to know what you know. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, yeah. Us and... yeah, or or give us what they want us to see, implant yeah. in our heads what they exactly the witches what the demiurge did. Right, he made us think we were human. He made us think this was the real world, and he made us think he was the only God. So, same as yeah. it ever was. As above, so below. Yeah. Yeah, I do find that fascinating, though, is that there is there does seem to be a correlation where these people are seeing very similar things. They're meeting very similar beings. They're seeing, uh, like, they can almost talk about, like, exact locations, and they can describe it exactly the same. And it's super super fascinating like it's probably vast and so it's hard to you know describe but there are it seems to be like similar places that everyone kind of sees um and that whole idea i mean i guess you know the what what are your thoughts and what do you think the maybe the machine elves are do you think that these could be uh when you were talking about uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't made up my aeons, mind on this. When you were talking about the aeons and you were talking about like uh, the spiritual uh, people that come down here, like maybe how Jesus was, maybe how Buddha was to kind of give us uh, wisdom and trying to wake us up. Where, where are they coming from? 
Uh, the and ultimate, you think the ultimate consciousness, the undivided yeah. consciousness, the realm of light. And but these beings, especially in the Gnostic tradition, even in Christianity, these beings appear as tricksters because a like the trickster they don't belong here they're in the liminal spaces they are fooling everybody jesus has to disguise himself as does sophia as does valis uh, in the gospel of john yeah jesus kind of has to say you know the darkness knows it not you know there are tricksters and they come and they give gifts to humanity but the fire from the gods if you don't use it right is going to burn you same with the gifts of the nephilim so they are trickster beings, and they are similar to, again, we go to John Keel's idea of ultra-terrestrial, these beings that have a different morality. And if we listen to them right, their gifts will work, their knowledge will work, but if not, it will destroy us. I see the same thing with these beings, not because they're bad, but because they are disguising themselves in a completely alien world to them. And we are so programmed that even we get to almost reject them because they're so pure and different and uh, um so yeah i see them that's why they appear as trickster machine elves prometheus over and over the coyote and native uh myth that's what these beings are here and it's up to us to clear ourselves and clear our minds and clear our hearts so their gifts aren't tricks they're not going to burn us or destroy us that's fascinating. And in your opinion, was Elvis one of these Archon or uh, not Archons? <laughs> Aeons? Was he, uh, was he, do you think maybe it ascended? Was he something, there was something special about Elvis? Yeah, he definitely was. Uh, I call him, yeah, he was America's shaman. He was the incarnation of the trickster because the trickster takes the tribe and the civilization from one era to another over and over in these myths the one thing that trickster is going to do is going to change you whether you either change or it or you're or you're destroyed by life we argue all you want but the trickster changes and if you're in the right frame of mind you go through that door with hermes or loki or the gnostic christ and you become better you come to a new form a new uh, transformation and Elvis took this country from what it was before, a sort of uh, kind of benign republic into this post-war post -war new economic juggernaut empire that was full of technology and consumerism and all that. And you can judge all you want, but this was what the empire was supposed to be. Like Philip K. Dick, the empire, the hologram changes and the new manifestation of the roman empire the british empire the turk was america and elvis kind of kept everybody's mind together and psyche and soul and he in a way was in the representation of the egregore of america the american dream as many have said he was both the best and the worst part of this new america that we saw he was a saint he was a devil but he encompassed all of these and in a way he really healed a lot of people and kind of took us to this journey where we could both be materialistic and spiritual and extroverted, but introverted in a way, as strange as it sounds, and I'll make my case as the book comes out, it's like 
we wonder is American culture falling apart? Yeah, it is. We see it all around us, but I feel Elvis embodies it. And if we just look at his life, we see that it can be possible because he was both, I don't know, white American, but multicultural. He, bur he blurred the lines. He was a man's man, but he was also very vulnerable to the woman. He mixed all these traditions, blues and 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 country music and he was an extrovert but he was also very spiritual and a quiet man i mean he was everything that america should be and made us different and great and then i'm a kind of and he never excluded anybody from his life he was just the most true american compassionate open-minded had you know, armed to the teeth, loved his guns, had strong boundaries about things, but very open-minded about religion, sexuality, everything, but just kept it cool. That's awesome. I am very excited for when your book comes out. Um, I have one last question for you. And this is coming, well, I have two questions for you, but the last one's really quick. Uh, but this last question here is, I guess it was about a year ago. Um, I was having some interesting conversations. I, th I think it was with Esoteric Eddie, and he convinced me that I should probably go and visit a Rosicrucian temple because there is one that's not so far away from here. Even just to go and check it out, but I chickened out. It scared me, so I didn't go. Um, so that's that's part of the first question: Should I go check out a Rosicrucian temple? Should I go talk with some folks? And then, um, what for? a Gnostic kindergartner like myself, what is some good reading to start with? Like I was thinking about the gospel of Thomas. Actually, I really wish my co-host could have been here. You would love him. His name is Thomas and his favorite uh, gospel is the gospel of Thomas. Uh, very interesting. There guy. you go. Start with that. <laughs> yeah. Start with that. Yeah. yeah. If you want fiction, uh, read Philip K. Dick's Vallis and Divine Invasion. Uh, if you want movies, go watch The Matrix, The Truman Show, The Lego Movie, uh, so many Gnostic-themed uh, movies out 13th Floor, uh, Fight Club. These are Club. all my favorite movies. It's yeah, these, these are all yeah, very Gnostic, Gnostic, extremely Gnostic <laughs> movies that have made a lot of money because we realize as a culture that they are true and they speak to us. So they make a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely start there. I mean, for... Um, introduction uh i like april deconic her book is called the gnostic new age it's probably the latest and it's really cool because she uses every gnostic theology or group she compares it to a modern movie like she'll compare it to the matrix or she'll compare it to, uh, another chapter to the man of steel so you always have a movie that can help you understand this weird psychedelic theology of the gnostics so i would try that as for the temple yeah hell yeah go you never know i mean suspend i always tell people just tell yourself you're gonna this you're gonna suspend your disbelief for an hour or two put it on your make sure there's a clock or a safe word or something and go in and have fun you never know what might be something might arise from inside of you you might start seeing synchronicity something will speak to you so yeah yeah have fun i love going i love going to churches i love going to baptist church i love going to mosque ashrams i don't care god's everywhere and so is the divine yeah. and so is everything and again 
I can dis I can suspend my disbelief for a little bit. And as somebody who's an anarchist, my soul is damned anyway, so they can't help me. <laughs> I'm an outcast. I am an outcast <laughs> by default. <laughs> and uh, the last little question, this is the short one. Um, I'm supposed to ask this with every single guest, and most of the time I forget. Um, but this is kind of like uh, the question that we try to ask every guest, especially the first time. What is your favorite cryptid? Oh, that's a good one. My favorite cryptid. Uh, these days, I'm actually very attracted to uh, Bigfoot. In fact, I'm writing some articles soon, I think, for a publication. I don't know why. Again, kind of like uh, Elvis and Sasquatch are as American as they come. It's like our, our American essence is tied to those two beings. And you've never seen Bigfoot and Elvis in the same place either, so watch out. So. I would say these days that would be it. Well, we are going to have to have you come back on and talk about Bigfoot. That's kind of a that's kind of our thing here. So that's awesome, uh, Miguel. This was wonderful. Um, tell our audience one more time what's the best place to find you? What's the best place to support you? And uh, all that good stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I would either type in thegodabovegod.com on your address bar. Again, think of higher God, lower God, God of the Hebrew Bible, or just type in Aeon Byte, A-E-O-N-B-Y-T-E, and uh, you'll see my webpage, and it's got my videos, books, uh, social media. Uh, I've got some courses. I just released a Gnostic-themed tarot deck. Uh, it's all there, whatever people want to. I, I do have a reading list somewhere on the menu bar. People want to check out some books to get you started. So everything's there. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And for the audience, we love you. Um, and uh, since Thomas isn't here, I'm going to do his plugs. Everyone go to paranoidamerican.com and they are still doing um, uh, him and Sam Tripoli have their, um, their comic book uh, chaos twins.com. We'll close out with a promo that they are, uh, that they're doing. So, Everyone go to chaostwins.com, paranoidamerican.com, samtripoli.com, and go and buy the Chaos Twins. All right. Thank you, Miguel. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dive into a realm where comedy meets cosmic adventure. Chaos Twins, created by comedian Sam Tripoli and comic publisher Paranoid American, will sweep you off your feet. Join two girls with the astonishing ability to morph into animals, rally with their cryptid crew, and traverse diverse dimensions. But you don't have to take my word for it. Sign up now at chaostwins.com. In a place as curious as Crown City, adventure awaits at every turn. Meet Anna and Becca, two spirited souls navigating a world filled with wonders and weirdness. Alongside their trusted allies, Biggie, Mathilda, and the Chupacabros, they'll stand against aliens, reptilians, and mysteries beyond imagination. Dive into their captivating tales and discover a world where anything is possible. For more information, visit chaostwins.com, samtripoli.com, and paranoidamerican.com. 